Uh, we can turn back to the chapter we read, Ruth chapter 1, and read again verses 19 to 22. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, whom the Lord, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I suppose one of the things that people would like to have in life <clears throat> is a sense of realism. We're living in a cost of living crisis where life is hard for many people. Things can be so uncertain and as we know uncertainty brings a sense of fear, apprehension and just uncertainty around. And there's always a temptation <clears throat> that we become like ostriches and just stick our head into the sand and not look at life as it really is. Realism in society. But perhaps it's not just in society that we need realism. Maybe we need it in the church. The seven churches of Asia. Which of them were realistic? When, the, when Jesus came to assess them, <clears throat> five of them got a shock. Ephesus, doctrinally correct. But they hadn't noticed they had left their first love. Sardis had a name that she was alive, but she was dead. Realism. Of course, it's not just in society or in the church as a, as a group ourselves as individuals. How real 
are we about ourselves? Naomi, as we can see, she's come back uh, to Bethlehem. She's been away for at least 10 years. They are gone away from Bethlehem with lots of hopes. Herself and her husband and her two sons. And they had only intended to go away for a short time. And no doubt, the inhabitants of Bethlehem gathered to watch them go. But here they are now gathering to see these two women coming back. And as we can see from verse 19, they weren't entirely sure that it was Naomi. There may have been lots of reasons for that. It may have been she was just older. After all, a lot can happen in 10 years. I suppose we've all met people that we sort of recognize, but we're not too sure who they are because we haven't seen them for a long time. And we try and fish around to get a clue to see if we can work out who they are before we address them by the wrong name or something like that. Anyway, Naomi's there, and they don't recognize her. Maybe it's because of her company. Because surely, perhaps they would say to themselves, well, Naomi, surely she would not be with a Moabitess. I mean, we know about what Ruth said in verses 16 to 18 about your people being my people and your God my God. So we know that Ruth is a wonderful person to have with you. But the people of Bethlehem didn't know that. As far as the people of Bethlehem were concerned, Ruth belonged to the enemy, the Moabites. And if you read in the book of Judges, the Moabites had taken their turn in actually harassing the Israelites. So she was... um, with this Moabite. And the people might have said to themselves, can this be Naomi? Where's her husband and her two sons? So it's not too surprising that they weren't too sure. Quite often, if somebody we know has been away for 10 years or whatever period of time, and they're back. Well, we'll say to them, won't we, what's life been like? And when someone does ask us that kind of question, what do we say? Just mention the good points. Maybe elevate them a bit higher. 
Well, Naomi, she's basically been asked to give her testimony, hasn't she? What's life like for you, Naomi? Is she going to be realistic? Or is she going to pretend? So I'd just like us to think about that. As Naomi was brought back by God to Bethlehem. She could have stood up and said, well, God has told me to come back here. That's not what she said, is she? She does admit he's taken her back. But she says that she says that he's taken her back empty. She was realistic. So I want to look at this two or three things from this. The first lesson is watch what you call me. Then I want to see if there's any signs of faith in her words. Can negative expressions be an expression of faith? And then, just a little bit of personal application. Just thinking about some of God's promises and how real they are in our lives. And then, lastly, fourthly, what does Naomi teach us? Because although she didn't realize it, as she made her way back to Bethlehem, she was going to become a teacher for centuries. And millions of people were going to read her words. I'm going to be very glad that she said them. So watch what you call me. She says there in verse 20, Don't call me Naomi. The word Naomi means pleasant. She says, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. We're all familiar with the place called Mara in Exodus chapter 15. I'll just read the verses from there. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Mara. Poor Naomi. Life is not like her name, is it? But then, as we saw previously, that was the same problem her husband had. Elimelech, his name means, my God is king. Well, since God is your king, 
Why do you want to go and live in Moab? Why do you want to go and live with the enemy? Elimelech didn't live up to his name. And there was followed by a chain of circumstances. And we know what they were. Very sad. And here's poor Naomi. She's come back. Come back to Bethlehem. And she doesn't want people to imagine his life as the way it was. She's almost saying, isn't she, before I left, life was pleasant. And my name and my circumstances were basically the same. But now, they're not pleasant. And I know why they're not pleasant. And she's not afraid to say it. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. This is her testimony. I think it's important to note she's not bitter against God. But she is aware of providence. And of course there is a difference. Providences can be very hard, sometimes far too hard to bear. Naomi doesn't hide it. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Of course, we can find fault with her and say to her, Naomi, surely you know that you've got Ruth with you. But that's not what she feels at the moment. She's finding herself in a difficult situation. Within her, there's this real taste of bitterness. Because bitterness can only be tasted, can't it? Bitterness. Disappointment distress. She's not the only one in the Bible who's got this outlook. Naomi's often been compared to Job. And Job says this on one occasion, as God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter. That's her testimony. And she's saying to them, 
watch what you call me. In other words, be real. Face life as it is. Not as we wished it would be. As she says that, any signs of faith? I think there's three signs of faith. Just think about them briefly. The first one is her use of divine names. It's very good to be flexible. It's also good to be flexible with divine names. Provided we use them with understanding. It's easy to call God, God. Because that's who he is. But if we knew the meanings of the names that she has here, would we use them? She gives them two names. Almighty or Shaddai and the Lord Yahweh. God. El Shaddai. What does that mean? Well, there's various options depending on what the root word is on which the title is taken. One suggestion is that it just means powerful. Like, for example, where he says to Abraham, I am El Shaddai. The problem with saying it means, means powerful is that's what the word El itself means. So it would be just God saying to Abraham, I am powerful, powerful. And of course he could have said that. But perhaps this doesn't mean powerful only. A second suggestion is that it's connected to the word for mountain. And of course a mountain is something that cannot be moved, isn't it? It's just there. The mountains around us, people a thousand years ago looked at them. And if time lasts for another thousand years, people here in a thousand years' time will look at them. The everlasting mountains. And maybe God is saying to her, or she's saying about God, well, he's there. And of course that's true in a sense, isn't it? God is there. But it might not be what she's focusing on. Third option for the root of the word Shaddai is is taken from the word for breast. 
nurture, provision. And that's what it kind of looks like here, doesn't it, when she's got to say about him. I went away full. He gave me so much. He nurtured me. But Shaddai, the God who provides, he's brought me back empty. She doesn't think God has changed, does she? The one who's brought her back empty is the one who's full of resources. Just imagine her saying this. And then there's the other name that she mentions. The Lord or Yahweh. The I am who I am. The unchanging. The covenant-making God. God's covenant, of course, has got both positive and negative elements. Basically, he has said to them, if you do this, I'll bless you. And if you do something else, I won't. And she or she speaks of this um, covenant God. She says there in verse 21, he has testified against me. Why has he testified against her? Because he's a covenant God. If he just ignored it, what's he testifying against? Well, I assume he's testifying against the fact that they went to Moab. And there she is. She looks at her God. And she says about him, He's just done what I would expect God to do. Hard for her to say it. But he hasn't changed. She has. But she speaks about her God. She has faith. The second thing about her is she accepts the correction she's been given. It's not easy to do that, is it? We don't expect God to do such things. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that chastisement's a normal experience. We're not to be surprised when it comes. It doesn't mean we're to assume that everything that happens is chastisement. But she does here. And the third feature of faith is that she knows God's in her case. 
because she says there in verse 21, I'm here in Bethlehem because the Lord has brought me back empty. She recognizes that whatever she's doing, it's been a terrible experience for her. She recognizes that he's the same and that he corrects his people and that he still leads her and brings her back to Bethlehem. Signs of faith. She's realistic. As I said, I think a couple of promises. Wonderful promises that God gives. Great and precious promises. One of the first verses that spoke to me from the Bible, um, as we know, been familiar with the Bible since childhood, but never paid much attention to it. Until one day, this verse just spoke out of the blue. John 10, 10. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I mean, that's some promise, isn't it? I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Or as modern versions put it, life to the full. I have to ask myself, and I think maybe you might have to as well, can you stand up and say to your neighbor, I have life to the full. If we have it, that's great. If we don't have it, why? Realism. Or how about the words of Jesus in John chapter 7, verse 37, where he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he says, about every person that drinks of him, that out of his inner man shall flow rivers of living water. Promises of God are wonderful. They're also exceptionally challenging. If God says he's going to do something in life, and I look at my life and it's not there, who's to blame? God or me? If I said to my neighbor, 
Out of, our, out of my inner man is flowing rivers of living water. What would he say to me? The promise there kind of indicates spiritual saturation. Do I have it? Because the whole point of it flowing out, out of the inner man, it means it's not for my benefit. It's for the benefit of others. So therefore my neighbors do matter. A passage that we love to read at times is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. A marvelous doctrinal statement. And as we read it, our minds can be overwhelmed as Paul just goes from one past eternity to a future eternity and Describes all the blessings that's come to his people. But Paul's not writing a doctrinal statement. Paul's making a statement of praise. And as he moves along the heights, we can almost see his soul skipping with delight as he surveys God's great eternal plan. And his soul is just astonished, delighted, amazed at the grace of God. And he can't help beginning it by saying, Blessed be God. Did you or I say to God today, Blessed are you for your amazing salvation. That's realism. But where are we? Where are we in the spiritual life? We all know John, John Newton's statement. I'm not who I was. I'm not what I could be. I'm not what I would be. I'm not who I was, and that's great. But there must be progression. Realism. Naomi, what does she teach us? Well, there's a couple of things. In these words, she teaches us to have a God-centered understanding of life. It would be very easy for her 
We don't know why all these tragedies happened to her. And it would have been very easy for her to mention secondary causes. This man said about her, if we attend only to secondary causes, we will never be at peace in our souls. Whatever else we say about Naomi's testimony here, she keeps saying, God, 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 God. God did it, God did it, God did it. She's a God-centered view of life. It's not easy for someone to say that. But it does tell us, doesn't it, that she's a good scholar in God's school. That's one lesson, a God-centered view of life. God. God is in charge of every moment. A second thing that she teaches us that is be honest about your experiences. How many people in Bethlehem are empty on this occasion? We know that the, heart, the famine is over. Everybody else in Bethlehem is not empty. There's only one woman who's actually empty in Bethlehem at this moment. And that is Naomi. And it would be very easy for her just to go with the flow. Well, everybody else is joyful. I'll just pretend to be joyful as well. If she had done that, it would be a pretense. And she tells us, be honest about your experiences. Don't try and give the impression that your spiritual life is wonderful if it isn't. How many people have been encouraged and blessed by Naomi's sad words? Millions. Honesty, as we're often told, is the best policy. Another thing she teaches us is don't let providence change your understanding of who God is. Of course, all we have to do to understand that is to go to Calvary. What kind of God would let that happen? The God of salvation. 
that we're not to let providence change our understanding of who God is. Today, my providences may be very comfortable. Tomorrow they may not. They'll change. Who doesn't change? God doesn't change. God was working for Naomi's good before she left for Moab, when she was in Moab, and when she came back from Moab. Our God works everything together for good. All things. So we're not to let providence change our understanding of who God is. If we just snatch one item of providence and just look at it all the time, it can distort our view of God. God can restore the years. We're all familiar with the promise. The Lord can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. I don't know what you thought of that verse, but I always used to think it referred to the years that were gone. The past. Maybe the past has been wasted. And it's nice to get a thought coming to us saying, well, somehow or other, God can reverse all that. And I heard a a preacher saying that, well, the problem with locusts is that they don't eat the past. The locusts eat the future. The locusts take away the harvests that are coming. And the promise I will restore what the locusts have eaten is we may think locusts have destroyed our future. But God says I can give you the future. Restore what had been coming if the locusts hadn't come. Maybe we've got locusts in our lives at the moment. And we might say, well, we don't have a future. But God says he can restore the future. All those years that we might think nothing ever is going to happen now. We have to bring God into it. The unchanging God. And as we see with Naomi, she has now come to the place where 
God's got his plan. Empty Naomi has come back to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest, where God's prosperity is once again restored to the community. She arrived at the right time for the next stage in God's amazing plan for her life. And that's always true, isn't it? He's a God of providence. Nothing else happens but providence. Shall we, shall we pray?